Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to give a shout out to any new listeners who are joining us for the very first time. We're happy to have you aboard. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I am your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. You can find me on Twitter at Color of the Iris. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight from the city of Reading, Pennsylvania, is Micah Storms. Micah, how you doing? You know, I don't even know how I feel because I'm a teacher, so I'm on officially I'm on summer vacation mode, which I'm super excited about. But at the same time, with how the Red Sox are playing, um, I'm wondering, is this going to be another summer where the Red Sox are kind of playing meaningless baseball games? So it kind of has me all over the place in terms of emotions. But uh, I'm happy to be here talking about uh, what's going on. And this might be more like a therapy session, I feel like, for uh, for me. So. Happy to be here. I was going to say, happy summer vacation. You get to watch more of this crap bag outfit. So, yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, also joining us on the show tonight from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how are you? I'm just, uh, you know, it's, it's been an intense week, and we're going to get into a lot of that. But uh, this is starting to look like the team I thought it would look like for all the reasons I thought it would look like it. Um, you know, the rotation just did not look good uh, coming into the season. Tons of liabilities, but we'll get into that. Red Sox now one game back under 500. Uh, that's the first time they've been in that position uh, and I think about five weeks, 14 games back from the Tampa Bay Rays, who are 46 and 19 and uh, Toronto also putting some distance on us now uh, in fourth place. They're eight games above 500 in fourth place right now. That's <laughs> that's just insane. Eight games above 500 is first in uh, most divisions. So and the AL Central, the whole division's <laughs> under 500. So. Uh, yeah, been kind of a wonky, uh, year in the, uh, American league, but, um, so I'm, I'm speechless. I, I don't, I, I really don't know where to go with this, but yeah, it's tough. I mean, they, you know, Red Sox dropped two out of three to the guardians. This is a team that we looked at, uh, I think on last week's show, we kind of went through the schedule who they got in June and. Guardians are one of those teams that we looked at and said, they're behind you in the wildcard standings, but that's still a team you need to beat. And you need to at least take two out of three. You're going to be seeing, you know, more teams like them. So this was a good litmus test. And game one, you looked pretty good. Paxton had a great start. And then just game two on, it just fell apart, like so fast. Um, and then obviously there was all the, the bull crap that happened tonight both before and during the game um so we will get into all of that um we're gonna jump right into our midweek bottom five list um it's not going to be pretty so strap in for this one we'll start at the bottom with number five micah lead us off 
Coming in at number five is Justin Turner. And with Turner, I mean, this series, he was one for 13. So very little production from the middle of the order. Um, and with Turner, it does seem like he either has a series where he has a really strong series um, where he's drawing walks, getting a lot of hits, or he's providing zero production. Um, when they got swept in Anaheim, he went 0 for 10. So it's like, you know, when you're in the middle of the order and you're trying to provide some type of um, protection to Rafael Devers, Justin Turner was supposed to be that guy. And sometimes he seems like he's that guy. And then other times it seems like he's not giving many competitive at-bats. He he's been hitting a lot of ground balls to the, to the left side. Um, which for him, that's an automatic out because he's never going to beat it out. He's very slow for a 38-year-old. But um, the Red Sox really need him to get going. And the average isn't terrible, but if he's not hitting for a lot of power, you would want the the average and the OBP to be there. And it's just – it's really not. So with Turner – it's, it's a lot of pressure on him and Devers, and we're going to talk about Devers in a little bit, but those two with the rest of the lineup kind of struggling, you need those two to – one of those two to get going, and right now neither of them are going. So with, with Turner, a, a disappointing series. Um, so he comes in at number five. Terry, thoughts on Turner? It wasn't a good series for many of the reasons Micah pointed out. He's just been that type of a player all year long. He's good one series, cold the other. Good one series, cold the other. And he was cold here. And when other parts of the lineup aren't producing, it, it's just a lot more glaring when you have a guy who perennially has been pretty solid. You know, an upper 200s hitter, 270, 280 you know, mid threes on base and you're just, you know, we didn't get it from him this series. And, um, you know, the Indians guardians, um, have a, a decent rotation and, you know, we didn't see Tristan McKenzie this time around, but so they can, they can stifle you. And, um, that's what happened. And I'm surprised today we didn't do more with Adam Savali. I thought even though we didn't like our guy, you know, you look at a guy like Savali and the way this offense has been at various points this year, you figure you could put up, you know, at least five or six and didn't happen. Turner 0 for 4 with a strikeout. Didn't draw a walk this whole series either. So just not, not good. Yeah, slow series for him, and, you know, he's still a guy that I really like in that lineup. Um, he's one of the sort of few glimmers of hope in that lineup at times. Um, I think I tweeted out last week, uh, it was one of the few games the Red Sox have won lately, where I said Turner and Yoshida are my favorite players in that lineup. Um, that's still true, because I look at Turner, and maybe it's just me, but I look at him, it's like, Turner now is what I hoped Dustin Pedroia would be if he had stayed healthy and had played into his mid to late thirties. Like it, it's the same kind of thing. Just a gamer grinds out at bats, you know, generally gives you professional at bats every time he doesn't quit on you. Like, you know, it doesn't make too many mistakes. Um, and I still think a lot of that's true, but when his back goes cold, it's very noticeable because suddenly that protection for Devers goes away. And, you know, um, 
Turner, when he's at his best, is a run-producing machine. So when he goes cold, the runs go cold as well. Um, so bad series for, for his bat to go away. Um, I don't expect it to last. I expect that he's someone who has a bad series and then turns around and, you know, picks it up. And I, I expect to have a good series this weekend in New York. So not overly worried about him. But unfortunately, you know, you, when you when you go one for 13 um, and you don't draw a single walk, you know, you're, you're going to end up on the list. So it's a shame. But like I said, I don't expect it to last. Um, speaking of Raphael Devers, he is going to come in at number four on our bottom five this week. Um, rough series for him, three for 11. Again, still no homers, made a bad error as part of that absolute clown show inning in, in game two. Um, he just does not look right. He doesn't look right. He looks like he's either trying to do too much or he just looks lost. I mean, Middlebrooks tonight on the broadcast said, you know, to me, it looks like he can't catch up to the fastball. When have we ever said that about Raphael Devers? He, he feasts on fastballs most of the time. But in a way, I think Middlebrooks is kind of hitting on it. It's like, that's why he feels so out of sorts to me is that he's late on fastballs. He's getting behind in the count too early. And as a lot of it's just over swinging, you know, and, and just not going for just a, a nice base hit or, you know, looking for that gap. It's like, he's always trying to hit a home run now because he knows he's in a home run drought and it's, you know, maybe it's just the pressure of, he feels like he is the franchise player now and he has to put the team on his back and do everything he can. And he's not ready for that. Um, which could be a glaring problem because you signed him to a pretty big deal. So hopefully he feels ready to be that guy pretty soon, but I just don't think he's there yet. I think he's still too young. And I, and I think he needs, you know, someone else hitting near him in the lineup who's just as dangerous um, to protect him a little bit. So definitely a little bit concerned with, with the stretch that he's on right now. Um, and yeah, he made a bad error. It's to me, that's a blip. His defense has still been, pretty rock solid all season. So I don't think his defense is going to slip, but that average keeps dropping. The on base is back below 300 now. So he's not taking walks and that home run drought is still there. And the home run drought, I wouldn't even mind if he was racking up doubles, you know, if, if he was finding the gap and racking up doubles and, you know, still hitting the ball hard, that that'd be one thing. He's not even doing that. So he's kind of just turned into a little bit of a zero in your lineup here lately, which for your star player, um, you absolutely cannot have. So Micah, what do you think about Devers? Yeah, I think he's searching for who he is right now at the plate because I, he's definitely trying to do too much. I mean, the swings he's taking, he's practically falling into the right-handers batter, batter's box um, because he's just trying to leave planet earth. Um, but that's to me not what who Rafael Devers is as a hitter. Um, he's much better when he stays in the middle of the field or even to the opposite field. He can pull the ball, obviously, but to me that's not his strength. Um, this year he's hitting 344 when he hits the ball to the opposite field. And at Fenway Park for a lefty, that is a dream right there. And to me that's what he needs to get back to doing is, is just letting the ball travel. Don't try to yank. Um, because it looks like he's guessing a lot of the time because he's swinging at a pitches that are um, a couple feet outside the zone. And he's just, instead of being ahead 1-0 or 2-0 or 2-1, he's 
one and one two all the time and that's the that makes a world of a difference especially with how good pitchers are in today's game when they're they're hitting behind in the count that just is not a recipe for success over the course of 162 so for me it's it's patience and and getting back to the opposite field um but it is interesting because last year even though devers was the best player on the team the, the team was always Andrew Bogarts. It was his team, and then Devers was kind of like his his, uh, um, his the guy. One he was one B to to Bogarts is one A, and this year he is the guy. And with this lineup with Story and Duvall out, like he really is the guy, and he has not had a lot of success. He's he's the power numbers aren't bad for uh, June eighth. But the average has been way below the average that we have seen Rafael Devers have over the course of his career. Um, and I'm hoping that he can well, – maybe the Bronx, maybe Garrett Cole this weekend can get him going. But uh, the Red Sox desperately need to have all-star Rafael Devers going um, for them to have any type of success moving forward. Terry. You guys make a lot of good points. And just so we know – how bad the drought is you got to go back to may 19th when he hit his last home run and it was actually a two home run night for him um so you're you're 10 days away from a month-long drought here for devers in that time frame he's only hit three doubles we just saw we just saw jose ramirez hit three home runs tonight devers has hit three doubles in that that time frame so it's it's been a lengthy drought, and as uh, Micah was kind of pointing out, his whole career coming into this year, he had JD Martinez and Xander Bogarts hitting behind him. Now, do you know who he has behind him? He's got Tristan Casas and Kike Hernandez. So he's not probably being given a lot to hit anyway because they figure they're just going to strike out Casas or, you know, he's going to fly out as, as streaky as he is. And he just doesn't have the type of protection. And I just think that's a massive failure for this, for this off season. And uh, the other thing that was great about JD as well is he, he was basically unofficially like the assistant hitting coach. If a guy was in a slump, he'd go have a powwow with him probably during a workout. Hey, this is what I'm seeing. I think you ought to try this. And I'm not saying this because the, the, JD has been going off right now, by the way. just <laughs> He has been one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball in the last couple of weeks. Having said that, I don't have any problem that he's not here. I just My big problem is I didn't think he was adequately replaced or even close to adequately replaced. So, um, but... In regards to Devers specifically, I think, you know, he he's missing Martinez a lot in, in a lot of ways, at least from a performance standpoint. And um, and then to kind of build on what Micah was saying, I don't think it's it's so much mechanical. I just think it's a mindset thing for Devers. He just needs to be a good hitter. Just hit the ball hard and keep it in play. Um, if you got to slap one to the opposite field, then, then do it. Like he's been a really good hitter at times in his career. And as Jason pointed out, he, he loves to sit on the off speed stuff. That's just what he does. And there was a series last year against the Yankees. They fed him nothing but fastballs and it was a three or four game series. And 
games one and two, just nothing but fastballs. And he wasn't catching up. And it became this big media thing. Oh, Devers can't catch up to the fastball. And then in, in games three and four, he was crushing them. So they kind of lit the fire. And we, we got bigger problems, I guess. And uh, it's, it's just been... It's just been an insanely intense season in, in a lot of regards, but um, probably other than maybe his rookie year, the worst year of his career so far. Yeah, and to your point about Martinez, his last 15 days, six homers, four doubles, he's hitting 319. So again, I'm with you. I didn't want the guy back either, but you have to imagine if Devers had that sort of protection near him, Things might be much different for him so far this year. Um, so moving on to number three on the bottom five, Terry, who do we got? This might be the last time he makes the bottom five. Boldly guessing. Uh, that's Corey Kluber. Uh, came in in relief tonight, I think, in the uh, fifth or sixth inning. Then proceeded to give up eight straight hits. And uh, the first out he got was simply a, a base running mistake. Uh, I already forget the Guardian player's name, but uh, one of their young guys and uh, tried legging out a double that he sh really shouldn't have. Uh, and Kluber was kind of gifted and out there, but he got slapped around. Uh, Jose Ramirez hit um, a home run off of him, his third home run of the night. And it was just a hit parade. And as I've said, the last several times that Kluber's been featured on this show, they know they know it's going to be under 90 miles an hour. All they really have to do is guess the location at that point. And, and everything's getting hit hard. Everything's getting hit hard. He doesn't have the velocity to, to keep them off balance. And I, you know, we made some good bullpen moves last winter, and uh, those were some of the earlier moves we made. And uh, you know, I, I thought Heim did a, an okay job at that. But on December twenty eighth, that was the day they announced they were going to be signing Kluber, and from that day on, I've just been miserable about this team. I've been absolutely miserable. I have us winning 74 games and I have a feeling it could be much less than, well, it's hard to be much less than that, but I, I, I think we, we might win less than that. And this is a big part of it. This is a big part of it. And he flamed out before Garrett Richards did. Garrett Richards through the month of June, basically that year was, was helping us win baseball games Kluber, late May, he lost his rotation spot, and he should he should have been DFA'd tonight. He should have been. Um, here's a tweet from Christopher Smith. He writes for um, Mass Live. He, you know, if if Chris Cotillo is the Batman, Christopher Smith is the Robin of that duo. And uh, but he points out, uh, he tweets out. Corey Kluber declined to speak with the media. I've been told by two sources he has not been DFA'd despite some general speculation on Twitter just so, uh, because of how he was left out there for so long tonight. Could that change? Maybe. But as of now, he's not 
involved in any roster moves. And just to add on to um, the part where he says, just because of how long he was left out there, um, Ryan Brazier, I think, pitched three full innings on what ended up being his last night because they knew he was being DFA'd. So they're like, let's just let's just keep throwing him out there. <laughs> Ride him like a rented mule. And uh, that's what it was looking like with Kluber. And um, the, the other thing I'm going to add here is when Kluber, when Cora, excuse me, makes the decision to leave him in there when he clearly doesn't have it, he's essentially forfeiting the rest of the game because Cora's mindset is, well, I'd rather rest the bullpen. I'd, I'd just rather have fresh bullpen arms. We're going to lose anyway. So let's lose the game. Let's lose the game tonight since we're behind anyway. And that that's just a terrible... That's a terrible situation to have to be in, you know, with a guy that you paid $10 million for. Um, There was nothing to suggest Corey Kluber was going to be an effective pitcher. It's his fourth year in the division. Everybody's had looks at him. And uh, against the ALEs, he got rocked in every single park last year, uh, except Fenway, ironically. (laughs) Um, But... It's looking worse and worse, and any of the other 29 teams in MLB would have DFA'd him by now, but I don't know if it's the fact that we can't admit we're wrong or if our pitching is is just in shambles. And the last point I want to make, and it's just more of a reminder that, that I've been throwing out there the last several weeks, there's no help coming. Internally, there is no help coming. This is what you've got, and it's it sucks. It's just another. It's just another wasted year with with a rotation that was predictably bad. So brutal. Yeah, Micah, what do you got? The frustrating part about the Kluber outing tonight was that it was a 3-2 game before he had that blow up so it's like the game was right there and this was a game the Red Sox needed to win you cannot afford to lose a series to the Guardians who are well now they're four games under 500 but this is a sub 500 team if you want to get back in the mix which obviously right now it does not look like this team has any chance to get back in the mix but these are the games that you have to win and Corey Kluber was left in to give up 11 hits when was the last time you saw a reliever not someone who was um piggybacking off of an opener but someone who was a reliever give up 11 hits i i can't think of an outing where that was the case and this wasn't just you know ground ball singles this was double triple homer double it was rough um and you know you brought up ryan brazier I don't like to bring up that name anymore because that's a thing of the past, thank goodness. But the whole point of keeping Ryan Brazier was, well, his baseball savant page, he has red in his baseball savant page, even though I think that's a terrible argument. um, But at least it's like, well, the stuff is there, so maybe the results can turn around. I don't know if you've looked at Corey Kluber's baseball savant page, but it is ice cold. It is just blue everywhere. 
So what is the rationale behind keeping Corey Kluber? Because he couldn't make it as a starter, and he went to the bullpen. I have not seen an uptick in any velocity. So the stuff is the exact same thing as it was as a starter. So if the stuff has improved, what is going to get what, – what convinces you that he's going to get guys out in, in relief outings? I, I don't know what it is. He can't do it. 11 hits in three and a third innings. To me, this is an automatic DFA, whether it's pride, um, whether it's because, like you said, there's very little um, depth in terms of pitching in the minors that is ready to help. I don't know what it is, but to, he cannot be coming into a close game. If, it's a, uh, if they're down five or six, whatever. But if it's a one or two or three run game, and you see Corey Kluber running out of that bullpen, I mean, you're waving the white flag. That's where we're at right now with him, and that's a shame. That's really a shame because tonight was a winnable game, at least prior to Corey Kluber giving up, I think it was five runs there in that inning. It, it, the game was there. Whether they actually go out and take it, we, we, would, we will never know. But Corey Kluber equals the white flag. Real quick, uh, I meant to give this in my take. The Guardians were the number 29th ranked offense in MLB, and they went to town. They went to town on Corey Kluber. So um, that's that's all you can say. I Yeah, I did not think it was possible for a Red Sox pitcher to offend me more than Garrett Richards did during his time here, but Corey Kluber has uh, by far, far and away achieved that. Um, Garrett Richards was more valuable than Corey Kluber because at least when he got moved to the pen, he had some good weeks out of there. Now, it didn't last, but he at least sort of contributed for a little bit. Corey Kluber has given you less than zero, and what, what he pulled off tonight, I mean, you said it, Guardians are 29th in the league in runs scored. Like probably not anymore after tonight, thanks to Corey Kluber, but that's how bad that team struggles offensively. They do not score runs like that. And all it takes is Corey Kluber to come in and boom, 11 hits, seven runs. And just, they were just teeing off on him. It looked like batting practice at this point. I agree with Micah, just DFA the guy, get this over with that. He has no value on your roster anymore. You can pick up some guy off the street. You know, do like you did with Bernardino, where you just make a small little deal and get someone, and they'll be more valuable than Corey Kluber. He's giving you absolutely nothing right now, and I don't understand why they're so afraid to DFA him and why they think that there is still something to salvage there. There isn't. He looks completely cash, completely cooked. So he better be getting DFA'd soon. Go get Madison Bumgarner. He'll suck too, but at least it's a different flavor for a few weeks and then kick him off. I just, we can't take the Kluber stuff anymore. Like it, admit Heim in the 1% chance you're listening to this, admit you're wrong and just, just get rid of him. You know what? I, hey, I'm all for it. Why not? Give it a shot at this point. Anyone but Corey Kluber. So I, I would even be willing to take a flyer on, on Mad Bum who, uh, also kind of sucks now too, but Hey, he's out there. You can grab him if you want. So, uh, moving on to 
the two biggest culprits. We'll start number two on the list. Terry, who do we got? That is going to be the manager of the Red Sox, Alex Cora, for a couple reasons. Um, the quicker of the two, still terrible defensively. You had a, I think it was a three to two lead in uh, game two. And we were actually down, and then we rallied to take the lead. And then uh, I forget which inning it was, but we just started booting the ball all around the infield. Uh, a couple of them were was Valdez, you know, not, uh, you know, not getting the throw to Casas. Casas is six four. Valdez was like ten feet away and found a way to throw it over his head. Um, he also booted another one that might have been a, a tough play either way. Uh, it was a slow grounder. He charged it, but couldn't come up with it. Devers um, kind of he he kind of had a it wasn't a an extremely hard hit ball, but um, couldn't uh, you know couldn't make the play at third base. Most I think third basemen's would. I mean. Jose Ramirez made a hell of a play tonight uh, from deep into foul territory towards the wall and, and, and got Turner out, albeit, you know, not a fast runner, but um, it just wasn't a good night defensively. And, you know, Cora, I think that falls on the coaching and there, there's a massive failure here. It was a problem last year, continues to be a problem this year. But the biggest problem I had with Alex Cora, the biggest problem I had was he benched Alex Verdugo for not hustling on the bases last night. Now, could could Doogie have hustled? Yeah. You know, has he ever been a good base runner? No. He, probably one of the worst on the team. Runs into more outs than anyone. But at a time when he's probably not in your top 10 of biggest problems, and then you bench him, and then you publicly tell everybody you've benched him. I've got a massive problem with that. Like, he had very little to do with why we lost on Wednesday night. Very little. And if I'm if I'm Alex Verdugo, this is my move. This is my move. My next interview, if, if I'm asked about it, I'm like, I think the Red Sox should trade me at the deadline. I would throw that out there. Is it going to happen? No, absolutely not. The Red Sox would never trade Alex. Well, I shouldn't say never. I guess if we're in full blow-up mode, and we might be, in that case, maybe you do deal Alex Verdugo. But I would throw it out there because that's going to get the attention of Bloom and Alex Cora for the clown show that they've built around him. And Verdugo would have all the leverage because then it would force Bloom to say, well, you know, Alex is a really important part of the team and you know, he's a big part of what we're doing. It's going to force Heim Bloom to say nice things about Alex Verdugo, even though Bloom's probably going to be pissed off that Verdugo put him in that spot, but I I don't think I I don't think they treat Alex Verdugo fairly. I I think he's the whipping boy and and it's not fair. He's not the reason we're losing. In fact, he he's a big part of the reason we're only one game under 500 and not seven or eight. And he is the bona fide leadoff guy. I mean, sometimes we, we've seen Yoshida and Duran in that spot, but but it should be Alex Verdugo. He's got the best plate discipline of anyone on the team, I guess outside of Yoshida, who's just a freak, but... Uh, Verdugo just he doesn't strike out a ton. In fact, he in the two games 
he did play. He didn't strike out at all. Drew three walks. Okay. This is a guy who helps you win ball games, who's a net positive out there. And I'm just so tired of, of these weird decisions getting made by Cora. I, 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 it's funny because, you know, fire the manager season happened right around now last year. Girardi got fired. Um, I'm drawing blanks. Um, Girardi got fired. Madden got fired. Um, Charlie Montoyo got fired. I think that was in July. And I was looking down the list of potential firings. And the only two I could really come up with was Alex Cora and Buck Showalter. Everybody else is so new. And I know Ollie Marmel, you know, hasn't gotten off to a good start out there, had a weird controversy with Tyler O'Neill earlier in the year. But all the last place teams, they're all new. They're all new managers. So they're not going to be fired, you know, five months into a year when the expectations weren't high anyway. So, and the only reason I'm throwing Showalter out there is because Steve Cohen. You know, he's going to make bold moves. He's essentially the modern day George Steinbrenner. You know, he can do it. And there there was a, apparently, I, I forgot to follow up on it, but last week, or maybe it was last weekend, the, the Mets lost a game and apparently Steve Cohen might have thrown a chair or something and then told Buck Showalter to go do his, his effing press conference. And, uh, and I'm like, wow, that's like, I don't think Showalter has been disrespected so badly at any point in his career. Um, I'll take him. I think, I think Buck Showalter would fix this Red Sox defense so fast, you know, it's not going to happen, but he, he's a guy that would do it for sure. And, um, I'm pretty much done with Alex Cora. You know, I, I've tuned him out in all of his press conferences. So I'm just curious to know if there's going to be a roster move at this point. And uh, other than that, Alex Cora doesn't do anything for me. I think he's overrated as hell. And uh, I, I can't wait for that, that part of this era to end. Micah. I've definitely been in the pro Alex Cora camp. Um, I still don't think he's a bad manager by any means. But the benching of Alex Verdugo, to me, is absolutely just mind-boggling how he came to that conclusion. Um, I mean, yes, did he not hustle towards a, a ground ball towards that, that was a force out at second? Sure. But if you're going to call out Alex Verdugo on that play, then when are you benching Rafael Devers? Because Devers doesn't run every ball out to first base. There's, uh, I've seen Kike Hernandez not run a, a couple ground balls out to first base. So if you're going to call out your if, – if you don't consider Alex Verdugo their best hitter because of Yoshida, then he is right behind Yoshida um, as their second best hitter. If, if you're going to call him out, then you better start calling out everyone and be consistent because as I stated when they brought in Kluber um, down one run, how do you expect to win a game when your second best hitter doesn't start because you you're benching him for not hustling the previous night? To me, they had no chance of winning this game um, prior to the game because of the starting pitcher, which we'll get to, and then benching Verdugo. That just to me made no sense. Um, I, I just can't wrap my head around it. I, these are games they need to win. 
and you take away your leadoff hitter, your best hitter, when the entire lineup is pretty much slumping, made no sense to me. Um, as for the defense, it, it just gets worse and worse. That that inning, I felt absolutely terrible for Cutter Crawford because he was out there. He was attacking hitters. He was getting weak contact, and they just hung him out to dry. And then he got pulled the next inning because he gave up a single. And it just – I felt bad for him because those were not extremely difficult plays. They were pretty routine. They were They were made by players who were not out of position. Devers is a third baseman. Hernandez, he's been they've, – they've named him the shortstop. Valdez came up as a second baseman. So these are guys who are expected to make these plays, and it keeps happening. Um, and eventually you have to point to the coaching. Um, it, it's just – it makes no sense. And my last point, and it's either Cora, Dave Bush, how do you let Jose Ramirez hit three home runs? You just stated that they're in the bottom – five um that's a bottom five offense and their best hitter who has been he's had i think three or four top five mvp finishes over the last couple seasons he hits three home runs that's the guy you circle on the lineup card and you say unless no one is on base and even if no one is not on base we're going to be super careful with him and then we're going to make other guys beat beat us and they let the best player on the team, and he's probably a top five player in the American League, even though he's super underrated because he plays for the Guardians. They let him beat. They they let him beat him on on a night when they needed to win, and that made no sense to me. Three home runs to Ramirez, to me that is just a crime on the on the pitching coach, on Cora, whoever you want to put it on. It, it, that's coaching, and that's a terrible game plan. Terrible game plan. Um, when you put all of that together, uh, that was a, a train wreck of a night for Cora. Um, you know, I, I, I asked in the beginning of the season, I think it was in March, right before the season started, I was on a Twitter space with Chris Cotillo, and I asked him, do you think if the season were to go really bad, do you think if, if ownership likes Heim Bloom and what he's doing in terms of the, the finances and everything and building from the bottom up, do you think Cora could be the fall guy? And I wonder if that could be true. Um, there, there's been a lot of conversation about Cora not really seeing managing as you know for a long time in his future. Um, but with how poor this season is is trending, you know, um, I wonder if he just decides to hang it up because it, it sure looks like at least over the last couple of weeks, like he's lost control over this team, and it's a shame because. You know, this is we're going on potentially three out of four years for a last place finish. And the Boston Red Sox, with all their resources, that should never be the case. Never be the case. You go, Jason. Sorry. I'm starting to wonder if Alex Cora is like a front running manager, where if he's got a stacked team that's performing over its head, you know. The, the clubhouse is happy and he can navigate that just fine. 2018, that team was stacked. You know, JD Martinez and Mookie Betts were basically competing head to head for the MVP that year. Um, then 2019, they take a dip. 2020, he gets suspended for cheating. 2021, they go back up again, but he had JD Martinez still there, Xander Bogart still there, performing really well. 
he had a real first baseman that year. Bobby Dahlbeck actually got 25 bombs that year. That was his best season. Hunter Renfro was in the mix. Nathan Avaldi performed out of his mind, finished fourth in the Cy Young voting that year. Then 2022, they go right back down to the cellar. And this year, they're back in the cellar again. And I just don't know if Cora is the type of manager who really wants to dig a team back up from the depths and and get them you know out of a out of a jam, get them out of a hole, and get them competing again. I feel like he just loses the clubhouse too quickly, and he tries to do things to turn it around that don't work and don't make sense. Benching Alex Verdugo, which everyone before the game said, well, it's probably just because he's trying to get through to the younger guys and. He's trying to show them that, you know, nobody's off limits and blah, blah, blah. Then to Micah's point, bench Devers. Like, you know, bench your superstar player who is underperforming and also doesn't hustle on every play. Why does it have to be Verdugo who is now, Terry, you mentioned it. Verdugo's his new, like, whipping post. You know, oh, I'm challenging him to get in better shape in the offseason. And, oh, you didn't hustle on one play despite the rest of our team playing like a disaster show. Um, I'm going to bench you for that. He has a history of doing this. He did it with Eduardo Rodriguez. The whole time Erod was here, Cora picked on him. And eventually it got to a point where Rodriguez just, I'm not sure, maybe if you really threw the bag at him, he would have come back, but he couldn't wait to get away from Alex Cora. And now he's over in Detroit, and look, he had to take some time off for personal reasons, but he's back now and he's pitching really well. And I just wonder if getting away from Alex Cora is really helping him. So I, I have not been impressed with Cora this year. I'm kind of done with him too, to be honest. I'm kind of on your side of this, Terry. Like, I don't think that he does anything spectacularly. I don't. I, I think that when he has a really good roster, sure, he can lead them to the playoffs and like he did in 2018, lead them to a World Series. But if he has to, you know, the the old phrase, make chicken salad out of chicken crap, he's not that guy. The, the shine has worn off him. He's not the guy that's going to do it. He's not going to be the guy to, you know, get Tristan Casas to turn it around. He's not the guy who's going to, you know, get Kike Hernandez to overperform again. He's just, it's not, it's not him. So he's still a decent manager, but for this team with whatever direction they're going in, which who the hell knows what that is at this point. Um, I don't think he's the right guy. I think you need someone else. And I don't know if it's that you need someone younger who gets through to the younger players better, or if you need, like you mentioned, a, a Buck Showalter, you know, a, more of a taskmaster, you know, a guy who's been around the game for a long time to sort of just come in here and put his foot down and be like, all right, enough screwing around. Let's, you know, let's, let's play better baseball here. I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is. So I'm kind of done with Cora. I'm not ready to fire him this instant, but it would not shock me if, Either he walks away at the end of the year because he's just so frustrated and, you know, doesn't want to do it, or if they make him the fall guy. Because if this keeps trending this way and they finish in last place and maybe they do end up with just 74 wins like you predicted, Terry, yikes. I mean, at, at that point, heads heads have to roll. And my money would be on Cora before anyone else. So hasn't been a good season for him. Um I don't know. I just I feel like the the magic dust is finally worn off. Look at the the kids though. Who has he finished developing on his watch? I mean, Duran's had a nice start, and maybe he'll get hot again. I don't know. Um, 
but uh, there's what's the upside? He's not good at managing kids and and developing them. And I think I would say Alex Verdugo is a veteran at this point, and I don't think he manages them very well either. <laughs> so I, it's just it's been crazy. And let, let me ask you this, Micah, because I don't think you've heard me give this take, but what would be easier on ownership for them themselves to fire Alex Cora at the end of the season or to make Heim Bloom do it for them? That's tough. Um, you know, with how everything is kind of gone, I almost feel like ownership would make Heim Bloom fire Alex Cora. Like, I feel like that would be the move. That's what I'm getting um, at. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just feel like ownership is basically saying the these are the these this is the the direction we want to go, and you try to make it happen. And then Bloom is, I think Bloom was entered a very tricky spot. Um, I, I think the organization was really depleted when he took over. Now you can look at it however you want. You know, this is the Red Sox. It shouldn't take so many years to get back. That's fine, but. You know, you had Alex Cora, who's a, a World Series winning manager, and it just seems like the two of them, over the last two seasons, they don't see eye to eye on things. And I, I think if this season goes bad, I could totally see Cora either I, – I could see Cora probably walking away before he gets fired if he knows it's coming. Um, but I think if ownership wants Cora gone, I think Bloom fire, has to fire him. I think that would be the move. But I, I don't know if it would get to that point because I think Cora might say, you know what, it's been a run, but I just kind of want to go back to being a dad and, and get away from the the craziness of, of the, the, the MLB season. But it, it's a very interesting question. Real quick, it, if we get swept this weekend – if we're down one, two, three, and we lost two out of three to the Guardians, what was the series before that? Three out of four to Tampa. There's going to be speculation whether it might happen this week. And that plane's going to land in Boston. Might John Henry and, and Hein Bloom be there waiting to have a conversation with Alex Cora? I, I don't know, but you see him getting frustrated uh, during the interviews because he's got to answer the same questions over and over again where he has to give a bad answer. And I think that's wearing on him. And I also wonder, and I've wondered this in the past, what what's the relationship like at this point behind the scenes between Bloom and Cora? Is Bloom mad about some of the decisions on the field? Is Cora mad that he gets garbage every year? Um, I I don't know, but I'm just wondering if if that could play a factor in a in a midseason firing, and we'll see. But um, either way, I mean, you can't say he's made the most out of what he has. So I'm still, like I said a few minutes ago, not a Cora guy. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely tension between Cora and Bloom. Um, just from some of the snippets from interviews, Cora saying, well, you know, the roster is what it is. We have to make the best of it. That's a little bit of a shot. You know, he's sort of saying, okay, well, this is what I got. I, I'll, I'll do with it what I can. Um, I'm sure he's probably upset that Xander is gone and a couple of other guys left too. I think Cora really had a, a, a good relationship with him. So 
yeah, I think there's probably definitely tension between Cora and Bloom. Um, but at the end of the day, Cora is supposed to be this, you know, one of the best managers in the league. So I'm sure from Bloom's side, he's looking at it saying, look, you know, the roster I gave you, it's maybe not perfect, but you should be able to make something out of this. And we're in last place. So, and we're playing awful defense out on the field. And it's like, that shouldn't be happening. So, you know, that's, I'm sure he looks at it too and says, that's on you, you know? Um, but yeah, that, that, that Monday after the Yankee series could be a very interesting day. I, I don't completely take it off the table that something drastic could happen. This, this franchise has done drastic things in the past mid season. So um, it's not completely off the table. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, so with that, we're going to get to number one on the bottom five, Micah, I think we all know where this is going, but who do we got? Coming in at number one is Matt Dermody, and this is going to be uh, probably a loaded conversation just because it's – I can't even believe it happened. But if you are unaware of what happened, um, Dermody was not even on the 40-man roster. Um, so he was in the organization, but not 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 expected to really make a, a big contribution to the team. But – Two years ago, in 2021, he made a very insensitive tweet um, towards the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and if you, um, some fans have already done it, but if you go back and look at his Twitter account, he's liked and retweeted a bunch of very suspicious um, tweets. So the Red Sox knew this about him, and Heim Bloom had a conversation with him. Um, but Heimblum uh, decided to basically use roster manipulation because they needed a start and they have Adam Duvall coming back tomorrow. So they called Dermody up to the 40 man and he started tonight. And then after the game, he was DFA'd. And that was kind of expected prior to Dermody making the start. Um, but what I can't believe is that the Red Sox would choose to would they, they would choose to go through this negative publicity and they got a lot of it today. There was a lot of heat from Red Sox fans and rightfully so. Um, and they chose to, to manipulate the roster for a 32 year old. This is not a top prospect in baseball. This is not a guy that's been with the organization for years this is someone that they needed to start tonight, and that is absolutely it because they DFA'd them. And they chose to basically say, you know what, we need to start tonight, and that's the most important thing. And after the game, they asked Dermody um, about um, if he had any regrets, and he said, I do regret the tweet um, in the sense that it came out hurtful and it hurt a lot of people. That was the last thing I wanted to do um, was to hurt people. Well, you know what? You hurt people. <laughs> that's the matter of the fact is he's, he made a tweet that was very insensitive and he heard, he heard a group of people and that's the fact. It doesn't matter if there was intent or not. You did. And you, people can have their religious beliefs, political beliefs. That is fine. But when you represent an organization or a team like the Boston Red Sox, you have to watch what you say. And the Red Sox had no reason to call him up and give him an opportunity. Um, I can't believe they did it. 
Um, but to me, this is a major, major, major bad look for Heim Bloom and the Boston Red Sox. And to me, with Bloom, there's there's obviously people who can't stand Heim Bloom, and there's a there's a, still a group that I think still believe in what he's trying to do. I think if you start putting things like this into the the conversation of should Heim Bloom be a part of this Red Sox organization? You know, if you're going to make decisions like this, I'm for one, I, I, I'm not buying Heim Bloom if this is the direction that the organization is going to go. If you're going to give people an opportunity who have, who, who, who just don't care what they, they say and how it affects other people, I, I want no part of that. And I, I just am so disappointed. This one made me so angry. And then you threw the Alex Cora Verdugo benching. It got me heated. And I just can't believe that the Red Sox chose to go this route. They deserve every uh, negative thing that was said about them in, in, in regards to the situation. And to me, I was ashamed to be a Red Sox fan. I couldn't even root for Dermody because of – uh, of just this whole situation. It, it was super disappointing. Terry. Let's just look at the baseball aspect of it for a second. Um, today would have been Garrett Whitlock on normal rest. And I think I probably would have picked the Red Sox to win. Whitlock versus Savali. Whitlock's looked okay since he's come back from his little elbow thing. I think that would have been fine. And then that would have set up Hauk, Bayo, and then Paxton on Sunday in the Yankees series on normal rest as well. So I what was the reasoning for the manipulation? You just you just put yourself in a really bad spot today to try to close out this Guardian series. And now you've got Garrett Whitlock going in a game tomorrow against or today for the listening audience against Garrett Cole that he's probably not going to win anyway. <laughs> so you 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 made a, a, a winnable game losable today, and, and tomorrow you could have, I mean, it would have been Hauk, and that, that's not looking good either way, but it was just a dumb baseball decision. And then from a social standpoint, during Pride Month, you, you bring in – you bring in a, a pitcher who has a, a bad history on on social media, and it, it was unnecessary controversy. It was un, if you just wanted a warm body, there were there were a million other things you could have done. You know, call up. Well, yeah, they might not have been able to call up Walter, depending on when he pitched last. But um, you. It was it was a dumb move, and they knew it. They knew it yesterday, and you know Twitter was a firestorm over it. And it was interesting, you know, because you know the Red Sox fan base has factions. You know, you got your your Bloom guys, your anti Bloom guys. You've got your conservative, uh, you know, Twitter people, and you get your liberal uh, Twitter people. And it, it was fun to watch the the liberal faction of the Bluminati just kind of squirm a little bit like it was just indefensible like nobody could defend this and I, <laughs> and the biggest thing for me and I, I've touched on it sort of in the in the Kluber um, in the Kluber segment 
it was basically the incompetence of all the pitching moves he made this winter led us to this. That's what this is ultimately a consequence of. And I, I, I've been speechless many times tonight. <laughs> I just, it's just hard to, it's just hard to air out your frustrations. It's just frustration overload. It's just too much, uh, you know, in, in so many aspects. But why put yourself in this position in, in a game you weren't going to win anyway? I just, it's unbelievable to me. Yeah, the last time I saw a Boston team get heat like this on social media was when the Boston Bruins signed Mitchell Miller um, to a contract during the season um, back in the winter. And similar kind of thing. This, But Mitchell Miller wasn't a you know journeyman veteran who wasn't going to serve a purpose. He was a former top pick. Um, you know, talented player, but had a known history of some pretty severe and violent bullying um, and as well as some other stuff. And the Bruins got roasted on Twitter when they signed him. It was a total firestorm, just like Red Sox Twitter was the, the last 24 hours. People were calling for the general manager to be fired. Keep in mind, this is a team that was the best team in hockey. They were in first place. They were unbelievable. So... And they eventually reneged the sign. They went back on it because they just couldn't handle the heat. So it reminded me of that. And it's just, you said all the right words, indefensible, unnecessary, um, just flat out stupid by the Red Sox. You knew this was going to come out. You know, and I saw some people lamenting that, well, this would never have come out if he wasn't called up. You know, he was in Worcester this whole time and nobody knew about it. Well, yeah, duh. Because that's what reporters do when a guy gets called up to the big leagues. They look him up and they say, okay, who's this guy? Oh, wow. Oh, there's his Twitter. Oh, okay. And they report on it. So, yeah, it was going to come out. You weren't going to be able to slip this under the radar. And it's just, you knew that he was not going to win. You knew that, you know, you were setting the team up for failure anyway. And just the, the harm it did to that clubhouse that is already teetering. The clubhouse already feels like it's at a breaking point. Then you call up Dermody, and you've got to deal with that firestorm overnight through today. Then before the game, Cora decides to bench Verdugo. So that clubhouse must be just a train wreck right now. And there's got to be guys looking around like, can you imagine veterans like Justin Turner and Kike who are probably looking at each other going, man, we don't we wish we were back in L.A.? This is a mess. Like, what you know, Turner's sitting here going, why the hell did I sign here? I thought I signed here to win games and and, you know, play for a good team that, you know, was on the rise, blah, blah, blah. Instead, I'm having to answer questions about Matt Dermody and his homophobic tweet. That's not what I signed here for. So it just, the whole thing was so damaging to the organization and to the team in that clubhouse. And it was just such a disservice to them that, you know, like you said, Micah, it's like you did this all so you could do roster manipulation. That was the, that was it. That was the whole thing. Again, this isn't some 20-year-old hotshot prospect who might be a future ace. It's a 32-year-old journeyman who sucks and, you know, got DFA'd and, like, we're never going to see him again. And that's – we all knew that was going to happen. We all knew that he was going to get DFA'd right after the game. So why the hell did you do it in the first place? You had no one else in your entire organization. There was not one person 
one warm body who doesn't have a homophobic tweet ledger that you could have called up to make that start. It had to be that guy. You had to put your franchise, your team, your players through that PR nightmare from Matt Dermody. Just one of the most egregious decisions I've ever seen uh, from any upper management, but like for, for high and bloom, that's like, that does, that goes on the list of like, dude, what are you thinking? Are you even cut out for this job? Because any GM in their right mind would have been like, mm, you know what? No, let's, let's not, let's not do that. But I am went ahead with it and all for what? So you could just lose 10 to three anyway. And, you know, go to New York now after dropping two out of three of the guardians now you got to go to New York City under still probably an orange haze and, you know, face the Yankees who are going to beat your brains in. Yeah, that was really worth it. Good job. That was really worth the PR nightmare. So just just an awful decision all the way around. Um, definitely, I would say at this point that the, the absolute low point of the season for the Red Sox. Absolutely. Do you think Nick Pavetta was sitting there thinking, Really? I, I mean, I, I couldn't even start that game. That's the whole. That's what I was thinking the whole time. Like, where, where's Pavetta? Is he hurt? Like, did, you know what? What did he do wrong? He should have absolutely started this game, and at the very least, he should have been the guy coming in afterwards when it was three to two, not Corey effing Kluber. So yeah, just the decision making all around was horrendous. It's almost like Heim said maybe it was a confession. Like, ah, oh, this. You know, my my staff is so trash, I have to do this. You know, <laughs> what what message did it send to the veterans on already on his pitching staff? I just, it just doesn't make sense. It never will. Oh. I got anything, any other thoughts? Yeah, prior to the series, they had called up Chris Murphy, and they really didn't know when they wanted to use him. There was some some talk that he was going to go Wednesday or even he would start Thursday. And to me, if, you, if you're afraid of using Whitlock on four days rest and you want him to give him that extra day, fine. He just got back from the IL. But why, you know, Murphy started a lot of games in the minors. His most recent outing was the only one that, in, in the minors, his most recent outing was the only one he came out of the bullpen and he still threw three innings. So why wouldn't you throw... Murphy to start the game, have him throw three or four innings, see how it goes, and then piggyback with Nick Pavetta. That to me, or or at the very least, piggyback with with Corey Kluber. I, I just I don't understand when you have guys who started multiple starts in your bullpen. Why are you calling up Matt Dermody, who's a journeyman? Like if that's just a baseball move alone, it doesn't make absolutely any sense. If we as we've already stated. I just don't understand. Like, I, and then you throw in the social aspect, and it just what a nightmare. And I had so many conversations on Twitter with with fans who were just absolutely disgusted. And these are some of these guys, the, the the people that I've been talking with. They are pro Bloom people, and they are no longer pro Bloom people after this decision. And that's all it takes. And it's like, why would Heim Bloom want to throw this on top of? an already sketchy start to the season. I, that, to me, absolute mystery. Yep, just pouring kerosene on the fire. That's all he did. Just poured more kerosene on the fire. So, awful decision. Um, I just, you know, 
hope, hopefully this is the last we ever, ever have to hear about Matt Dermody, but um, yeah, <laughs> just, just horrendous all the way around. Um, with that, we're going to wrap up this uh, very frustrating episode of the bastards of Boston baseball. We're hoping that uh, our next few episodes can be a little bit better with uh, Red Sox helping us out there, but we'll see. So take a, uh, take a look for our, roundtable episode that'll be coming out this weekend and then after that the weekend crew has you guys monday morning to cover that yankee series so we will see you all later everyone take care